Well, good morning. Y'all look great. Do you feel it? You woke up this morning, there was hard frost on the ground. I had to scrape my window in my car. I thought, goodness gracious, winter has come. Right? So, uh, hey, it's good to be with you. We, are, we have wrapped up our series, Politics in the Bible, last week, and so we're kind of in between now and Christmas. And so today we're going to just jump over as a one-off sermon to Acts chapter 19. Our topic is going to be cutting ties with the past, Acts chapter 19. Let me give you just a little bit of background about what's happening in Acts chapter 19. When we get here, Paul is on his third missionary journey. Um, he's traveled to Ephesus. Ephesus is on, is on the eastern shore of the Aegean Sea, uh, part of the Mediterranean. And so he's there in Asia Minor, and he's been teaching now for some time. This is around 54 to 56 A.D. Paul spends about two years there in that community. It says in Acts chapter 19 and verse 1 that Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And then in verse 8 it says that while he was there in Ephesus, he entered the synagogue and for three months he spoke boldly, but some of the Jews became stubborn. That is, they didn't want to hear what Paul had to say anymore. And so because of that, in response to it, Paul withdrew from the Jewish people and he began teaching in the school of Tyrannus. Now the school of Tyrannus was basically a hall. It was a place where uh, people who were traveling through that were teachers could come and people could gather there. And so Paul used that as kind of his, um, his home base for teaching. And so people, both Jews and Gentiles, would come in and would hear Paul teach on a weekly basis. And again, he did this from the years 54 A.D. to 56 A.D., right in the middle of his third missionary journey. So Paul's planted in Ephesus for quite a long time. And the result of that was that a lot of people spread out through Asia Minor. They heard the gospel. They responded to it. Some became missionaries out in Asia Minor, and lots of churches were planted all over that region. Now, our text um, is Acts chapter 19. There's one specific event that we want to tap into today, and we're going to be reading Acts 19, verses 11 through 12 and 17 through 20. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 19, verses 11 and through 12, and verses 17 through 19. Here we go, verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Verse 17. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. You may be seated. Thank you so much. All right, let's kind of walk through these verses together to get a sense of exactly what is the situation that's taking place here. It says, verse 11, that God was doing extraordinary miracles through Paul, verse 12, so that even the handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Now these handkerchiefs would have been used as sweatbands. That's what people would have used them for back in Paul's day. And the aprons were aprons that a tanner of leather would have used uh, to keep from getting chemicals on them. And Paul was a tent maker, right? So he's working with leather and using that leather to make these tents. And so the sweatbands that he had worn and the aprons that he had worn were taken out to people who were sick, and they laid these aprons over top of them, and the people were 
miraculously healed. They take the sweatbands out and they would lay them on the people who had uh, evil demons or possessions or whatever, and the demons would leave these people. I mean, pretty incredible stuff, right? Paul wasn't even around for it to happen. They literally just took some articles of his clothing out there and these um, incredible miracles happened. Now, this had happened two other times earlier in the scriptures in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 5 and in Acts chapter 8. Let me take you to Acts chapter 5 first. It says in Acts chapter 5 and verse 12 that many signs and wonders were done among the people, very much like the apron and the handkerchief stuff with Paul. By the hands this time of the apostles, verse 15 says, people brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. And as the apostle Peter would walk past them and the sun cast across Peter's face and his shadow passed over the people lying on their mats and on their cots, it says, verse 6, um, that at least... Pat Peter's shadow might fall across some of them, and as a result of that, people were healed. They were healed literally by Peter walking down the street and his shadow falling across those that were sick, and they were healed, miraculously healed. Verse 16 says, crowds gathered around them, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and, all, and they, were, they were healed, all of them. And this again happened in Acts chapter 8. When Philip went down into, he was heading into Samaria and then from there into Ethiopia, and he performed these incredible miracles that would happen uh, there in Acts chapter 8 when the gospel was first taken to the land of Samaria, very similar outpouring. They say, Gordon, do you really believe all that? I mean, somebody walking by, their shadow passes over a guy on a cot, and all of a sudden he gets up and he's able to walk away. I mean, do you really believe that a sweaty rag that Paul used to wear around his neck or around his, or his arm or something like that was taken to somebody, laid on him, and that they were, yeah, I do believe that that's what happened. I mean, the God that we serve is the God of the Bible who hung the stars in the sky. I don't think that healing somebody from a sweaty wristband is really all that difficult for him, right? If God wants to accomplish this, God can do that. So the, really que the real question for us is why? Did these things happen? Not that they did happen, but why did they happen? What was God's intent for in Acts chapter 5 and Acts chapter 8 and here in Acts chapter 19 to do these incredible miracles? Why, what was the intent? What was the purpose of it? Well, I think over in Acts chapter 8, 5, I'm sorry, the answer is obvious. When Peter would walk past and the shadow would fall across people. You see, the message of Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 5 was at, in its infancy. Not that many people had come to faith in Jesus Christ at this point in the apostles' ministry. It was, it was new. And so because of that, the, ministry, the message had to be validated. The message had to, had, to be, uh, had to get into the minds and hearts of people. They had to be willing to hear it. It needed some credibility. It needed some proof. And so God had to out, unleash an outpouring of not just his Holy Spirit, but an outpouring of these miracles in order to give the gospel a fair hearing, in order to get people's attention. And this validation method worked. It said in Acts chapter 5, verse 14, as a result of these miracles, more than ever before, believers were added to their midst. What about over in Acts chapter 8? Remember, Acts chapter 8 is the first time that Jesus Christ has been preached outside of Jerusalem. So here's Philip out in Samaria, just north uh, in the northern part of, or in the between part of Israel, uh, north of Jerusalem. And he's out there preaching the gospel to people who haven't heard it yet. And so the same thing, we see the similar outpouring of hundreds and thousands of people who came to Jesus Christ because of the miracles that Philip was able to perform. Now, it's very important to note in both of these cases that once the message of Jesus Christ had taken root in these places, then we see a diminishing of these miracles. Uh, there's no longer, you know, Peter walking down the street, his shadow's falling over, over people and they're healed. We, that, that kind of, it, it, no, things normalize from that point forward to just the preaching and the teaching of the gospel. 
In Acts chapter 19, we've skipped forward 20 years, and it's interesting in the text that you don't see these miraculous signs by Peter, by Philip, by any of the other apostles at any of the places that they go until you get to Acts chapter 19, 20 years later. And why is it? Why is it 20 years later, all of a sudden, here comes these miracles, uh, passing out aprons, passing out sweatbands, and people are coming to faith in Christ? Well, again, this is the same principle, that Paul's coming to a land of Ephesus where the gospel has not been proven where the gospel has not been validated or, 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 or in any way. And so because of that, there's these incredible miracles that God knows need to take place to get the minds of the people on board with the gospel. Um, also, given the fact that the people of Ephesus were a very, um, uh, how do we say this, uh, occult-type culture. Uh, that is that they believed in the, in the magical arts, right? They believed in witches and soothsayers. I mean, it was the voodoo capital of the Roman Empire. Um, and in order for the gospel to take an, have an impact in the city of Ephesus, this town where they worshipped Satan and all kinds of sorcery and stuff was going on, the Bible had to be proven through a means that would get the people's attention. There's no way that Paul could just ignore the whole voodoo culture that was there. It was way too large. It was way too noticeable. He couldn't pretend that the witches and the soothsayers and that this, those people weren't in town. And so he had to prove that Jesus Christ was stronger than the powers of Satan, that Jesus Christ was stronger than the powers of all these incantations that people would go around practicing. In other words, Paul had to demonstrate that the God of the Bible was superior to any other forces. And if you know your Bible well, you know that the letter that Paul writes to the Ephesians had this whole uh, thing bound up in it that dealt with uh, spiritual warfare, right? Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, it's not flesh and blood that we wrestle against, but it's powers and principalities and rulers in the darkness of this world. That's what we're up against. And so he told them, hey, look, here's how you combat it. You put on the whole armor of God. And so he specifically writes a letter to a group of people who were already pre-wired for spiritual warfare, the people living in Ephesus. All right, so what happens next? Well, Paul's confronting all these demonic forces and defeating them. Verse 13, um, some of the uh, exorcists around town, verse 13, it says that some itinerant Jewish exorcists tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, in the name of Jesus whom Paul proclaimed. So what are these itinerant exorcists doing? Well, they're going out into the town of Ephesus like they had done before Paul had showed up, but now that Paul has showed up and there's all these incredible miracles taking place, they're like, hey, look, I want to bring the name of Jesus into my repertoire, right? I want to bring, because it seems to be having success with Paul, so maybe I'll try it as well. And so these itinerant exorcists are going out to meet with people and pray over them, and so they're calling on the name of Jesus. They don't know why, they just know it works for Paul, so they're going to call on Jesus' name as well, and they're trying to get uh, the exorcists, whatever you want to call that, they're trying to get the demons out. Verse 14, it says, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. Verse 15, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. So this is the evil spirit speaking out of the person to the seven sons of Sceva who were itinerant exorcists. And, this, and, this, and the evil demon says to these guys, Jesus, I know. Paul's name, I know. But who are you? 
One person laughed. I think that's hilarious. I mean, this is like some good biblical humor here. Where the Bible's saying, basically, this demon's like, I recognize Jesus. We, all the spirits know him. Paul's been around here. We definitely know him. We know who he represents. But I don't know who you are. You got no cred, right? You're nothing. Get out of here. And so the next thing we see in verse 16, it says that this person that was possessed with the evil demon jumped on the seven sons of Sceva and overpowered them and just started to pummel this, these seven guys and just thrashing these guys, it says to such an extent that they fled the house, get this, naked and wounded, naked and bleeding. So these guys, these seven sons of Sceva, these itinerant exorcists, just got a thumping from this person who is possessed by an evil demon. I think this is actually quite hilarious, but maybe. <laughs> Anyhow, <clears throat> what happens during the week during your studies? All right, so more importantly, though, it says in this episode, verse 17, that this episode became known to the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Gentiles, and they were all seized with fear that at the name of the Lord Jesus, uh, that such that the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled or was lifted up or was revered, right? Well, wasn't that the purpose of all these miracles? Is so that Jesus's name would be validated in the hearts and minds of the people of Ephesus? Wasn't that the point, that Jesus's name would be proven to be more superior to the, to the powers of Satan? And the point is that God's plan for all of these miracles worked. It says, verse 18, that many of those who believed, um, who, uh, believed came confessing and divulging their evil practices. Verse 19, and a number who had practiced magical arts brought their books together and burned them publicly. So they had a massive uh, bonfire book burning of all of these magical arts books that they used to use. And there's one of these books that's uh, not necessarily directly from Ephesus, but from the first century that's in the library at Princeton University. You can go and read it, and it's got all the different little incantations as you go through the pages. Um, verse 20 says, in this way, the word of the Lord grew in power. But it also pointed out, I'm sorry, I missed this part in verse 19. It says, when they calculated the value of the books or the scrolls that they brought, the total came to 50,000 drachmas or 50,000 pieces of silver. Friends, you put that in modern day uh, value, we're talking about about $20 million. So about $20 million, these folks in Ephesus, I mean, this wasn't like a couple of books. This was they emptied out their houses, they emptied out their libraries, they brought everything from all around town, and they had a massive fire, book burning, and they just burned 20, $20 million worth of assets. And it says in verse 20 that in this way, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail. You bet it did. All right, well, that's as far as we want to go with our text for today. And so that means it's time for us to ask our most important question. What difference does any of this make to my life? You say, Gordon, I mean, that's really funny that those guys got a thrashing, the seven sons of Sceva. But outside of that, I mean, unless Paul's got one of those sweatbands around still, what difference does any of this make? To me. Well, let's talk about that. You see, these new believers in Ephesus who burned their books as a way, they did so as a way of breaking free of their sinful past. It was kind of like a burning of the ships, right? That we're not going to go back there anymore. We don't want to have anything to do with that past anymore. They came to faith in Jesus Christ. They recognized that the power of Jesus was greater than the power of Satan, was greater than the power of the sons of Sceva, that was greater than the power of the witches and the sorcerers and all those people and their incantations. And we don't want to have anything to do with that anymore. We don't want that past still hanging out back there, but rather we want to cut ties with the past. Friends, this is a very biblical principle. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Therefore let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, 
and let us run with endurance the race marked out for us. Verse 2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. What is the writer of Hebrews saying? He's saying that if we're going to run the race well for the Lord Jesus, if we're going to be successful in the running of our race for the Lord Jesus, we have to put aside that sin which so easily entangles that stuff that was a part of our past, but that we no longer, no longer want to be part of our present so that we can live forward to a much greater future. There are some things, friends, that we've got to lay to the side. There's some things that we've got to back away from that we have to jettison, that we have to cut ties with. And so if these people in Ephesus wanted to do that, they knew they needed to have a book burning, and that's what they did. Um, I'm going to show you a picture here of a little animal. Do we have one of those doodads? There they are. Can you see that? Does anybody know what that is? Anybody grew up on the, uh, on the coast? Ah, there we go. Yeah, it's a barnacle. Um, these little jokers, uh, if you, when I was growing up, we would slip into the water alongside the dock, and you didn't want to get up close to the pylons that would hold the dock up, right? Because then the little barnacles would attach themselves to the pylons. And these things have really sharp edges. They use calcium that comes out, and it builds this little shell around them. And the, outs, the outside edges of this uh, can be very, very sharp. Um, and so here's another picture of, of, a, of a barnacle that kind of grew into some more barnacles. And um, yeah. That guy probably not going to do a whole lot of sailing anymore, right? That, that ship's hull is just full of these barnacles. And the thing about barnacles is, um, especially when it comes to, to shipping, is that if you don't scrape these barnacles off of that ship, um, that's where they end up, right? That's where ships end up. Because they create a tremendous amount of drag as the ship is going through the water. In fact, six months of not scraping off barnacles, uh, just some statistics I found online, six months of not scraping off barnacles from the bottom of a ship will cause that ship to have to use 40 to 50% more fuel to propel it through the water at the same speed that it was accustomed to. 40 to 50%. It's either going to have to ratchet up the amount of fuel that it's going to use, which is going to cost it a whole lot more to operate, or it's going to have to get down there and scrape off these barnacles, or it's going to have to just uh, decide that, you know what, we're going to have to slow down. We're going to have to go slower through the water. Um, but the idea here is that the barnacles need to be scraped off if the ship's going to be able to um, function at its full capacity. Friends, the Bible is telling us that there are some things in our lives that are like spiritual barnacles that will slow you down, that will keep you from arriving at your full potential. They'll get in the way of us running the race like we ought to. Uh, you can say, well, like what? Well, I got two categories of spiritual barnacles that I want to share with you here this morning, okay? Number one are things that are just plain ungodly. These are things that are just plain sinful things. They're things that are just plain damaging to our lives. For example, pornography, sexual activity outside of marriage, cheating, lying, stealing, allowing bitterness to control your life. Man, you talk about slowing down your spiritual progress, the way that God wants to use your life and his capacity to use your life. You bring those things in to your life and they will bring your spiritual life to a halt. The second category of spiritual barnacles that I want to point out are things that in and of themselves, they're not sinful. They're not necessarily sinful, but at the same time, they do create a sluggishness in our, or an encumbrance in our spiritual walk. And they can be different for different people. They can be um, an impediment in our life, such as a boyfriend or girlfriend. Um, is it wrong for you to date? No. Is it wrong for you to have a boyfriend or girlfriend? Is that sinful? No. But if that's not God's will for your life at this point in your life, then that can be a spiritual barnacle that can be holding you back, keeping you from becoming all that God wants, to, wants you to be. 
Um, if that person isn't following Jesus Christ like you're following Jesus Christ, that can be a huge spiritual barnacle in your life. Things like music that you listen to. Maybe it's music that you listened to back before you were a Christian or back before you really got serious and surrendered to the Lord Jesus. Everybody doing okay this morning? Some of you guys ate breakfast. Y'all don't know this. I told somebody the other week, they said, uh, they said does anybody ever fall asleep on you? I said, oh yeah. <laughs> it happens. I bet we're all awake now. Hey, <laughs> things like music that you used to listen to, things that, uh, music that, um, that you, you know, before you got serious with the Lord Jesus, that you're still continuing to bring into your life and that kind of slows things down in your spiritual walk with the Lord. Things like old friends that you had before you came to Christ, old friends that used to take you to the wrong places and lead you to behaviors that you weren't proud of or lead you to behaviors, behaviors that you knew didn't honor God. Those things, friends, just hinder your walk with him. Foul language that you used to use before you became a Christian. Addictions like to television or some hobby that controls your life or to some leisure activity like golf or tennis or playing cards. It could be Nashville, Na NASCAR. It could be Bulldog Game Day. I mean, whatever it might be, stuff that you used to have in your life that when you went to those places or did those things, it just became like a spiritual barnacle for you if you were to participate in that stuff now. It just slows you down. You know, there's a simple solution to all this. Scrape it off. Scrape it off. Get rid of it. And that's exactly what we see here in Ephesus. They had a book burning to say, we are not going back there. We are not bringing the past back into our present so that we can be all that we, we can be for God in the future. Friends, it won't be easy. It'll require some lifestyle adjustments. It may even mean that some relationships that you had in the past need to kind of, you know, go their way, um, jettisoning some old friendships. But again, the Bible says, scrape it off, have a book burning, cut ties with the past. Sometimes, friends, that's what's required. I went running yesterday. I ran seven miles yesterday. It's not that far. It may seem like a long ways, but it's not that far. It's not. Really, it's not. Anybody think that's far? Okay, well, well, I guess that's all relative. But anyhow, over the coming weeks, it'll get farther. But went running seven miles yesterday. Felt pretty good after the run. But if somebody came up to me, if Patrick came up to me, and he said, hey, Gordon, I, I got this backpack full of bricks for you. How about you carry this, this backpack full of bricks while you go out and you run your seven miles? How do you think my run would have been yesterday? You think I'd be up here saying, hey, it was really great. I had a good time. No, of course not. If I had a backpack full of bricks on me and I wasn't running down the road for seven miles, I might have finished my seven miles. I don't know that I'd run the whole thing. Uh, and I would have been totally, completely exhausted when I got to the end of it. Well, the same thing with our spiritual walk with the Lord, friends. If we're walking through our life with the Lord and we've got a backpack full of sin, we've got a backpack full of friends that we need to jettison, that we need to say goodbye to, that are holding us back, it's the same kind of concept. And so God calls us in the Bible to scrape those things out of our life, to empty our backpacks so that we can run the race and run it well. That's what a person does who's serious about their walk with God. I've never met a person who ever came to faith in Jesus Christ who ran the race well, who didn't have to scrape off some, mar some barnacles. I've never met one. Will it be hard? You bet it will be. There are relationships back there. There are memories back there. But it doesn't matter because it's the right decision. And you know, I'll bet here today that there are some of us who have barnacles in our lives. I don't know everything that's going on in your life. The Lord Jesus does. And he may identify here as I'm talking here this morning, hey, here's some stuff, here's some people, here's some places that you need to put in your past. You need to have the book burning. And friend, when the Lord calls those out and brings those to our attention, we need to be 
listening and obedient. We need to scrape some of those things out of our lives because they're impeding our spiritual progress. You say, Gordon, but if I do this, if I do this, I hear what you're saying, I get the biblical principle, but if I do this, I am gonna, it's gonna cost me something. I, I mean, some people might not like me anymore. I, I might not be able to go to some places that I enjoy going to. Yeah, and it cost the people of Ephesus $20 million. But they were willing to pay the price in order to have a much better future. It'll cost you something. Um, listen, friends, those are the kinds of people, those, those that scrape the barnacles out of their life, that God is still looking for today. People who love him enough and who are serious enough about their walk with God and are determined enough to become everything God wants for them to be, that they're willing to pay any price they have to pay in order to get to be the person God wants them to be. So let me leave you with two questions this morning. Question number one, as a follower of Jesus Christ, does there need to be a book burning? Does there need to be some scraping off of some barnacles, some spiritual barnacles? And I urge you this morning to be honest with yourself. Again, I, I don't know. I don't know what that might be or what the situation is, but the Holy Spirit can come in, put his finger right on it. And friends, you listen to his voice. And my second question to you is, if you've got some of those in your life, do you love Jesus enough, like the Ephesians did, that you're willing to do whatever the Lord instructs? Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking to us from your word today. We thank you for just a fresh challenge that, Lord, you didn't just come to this earth, die on the cross so that we could go to heaven, but you came to this earth, died on the cross so that we could go to heaven and live a life that is pleasing to you. Lord, help us to seize on that last component. Turn our lives inside out because we radically obey you. God, as we gather around this table and celebrate your broken body and your shed blood, we are reminded of your radical obedience to the will of the Father. Holy Spirit, speak into our lives this morning. Put your finger on whatever that hindrance might be. And God, may we go on to be people who run the race well, who are finishing our course, so that at the end of it all, we might hear your words, well done, my good and faithful servant. In Christ's name we pray, amen.